0: Which, Please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our message here today. Now, this one's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we've been going uh, through the book of Nehemiah, and I will continue that next Sunday. And like I said, the Sunday after that, uh, Nehemiah, fulfilling your part in God's story. But because today is Father's Day, we're going to do something just a little bit different. And there's kind of this series within a series that we do uh, called Men of Purpose, or sometimes it's Women of Purpose. And Pastor Greg and I love history. And so what we like to do is about once a year, sometimes it's on Father's Day, sometimes it's Memorial Day weekend, uh, we like to pick a figure from Christian, a Christ follower from Christian history and kind of go through their life as kind of an inspiration, an example of how you take the principles of God's word and live them out in somebody's life. And so, the last couple of times, I think we've done athletes. We did Jackie Robinson two years ago, and I think we did Eric Little uh, last year. Well, now we're going with a, a theologian that we're going to be talking about here today, and Greg and I are going to sh- be sharing, telling you the story of, uh, of Martin Luther uh, here today. Uh, I just got to tell you one little thing, and, and Pastor Greg's going to kill me on this, but I can't resist. I, I've known Greg for years, and I found out something about him yesterday that I never knew. We all know that he's He's a great volleyball player. I mean, he was academic All-American at Loyola, uh, Loyola Marymount, right? That's what they call Loyola Marymount here. Uh, I keep thinking of the Chicago Loyola, but Loyola Marymount. He was academic All-American. He's played against and with some of the greatest volleyball players in the world. But what I just found out yesterday is he was even more of a famous volleyball coach than he was a player. When he was a youth pastor down in Fountain Valley, he on the side, he would coach high school men's volleyball. And one year he was actually named the coach of the year for Orange County, the Orange County coach of the year one you. And and, you know, I'm just figuring Orange County, California has got to be the number one Mecca for a volleyball in, in, in the nation. So I'm just going to call it the coach of the year for the United States. That's what I'm just going to call it. I'm just going to expand it out there. And so he's going to be sharing this along with me. I don't know if we have any great volleyball players that we can, I guess that would be you probably if we did a life of one of the great volleyball players of all time. So we want to talk about men of purpose. And this past October was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, the nailing of the 95 theses that Greg's going to talk about here in a minute uh, in uh, October 31st, 1517. And so back in October, we had the 500th anniversary, and so we're still within that year, and so we thought it would be a cool thing to go through the life of Martin Luther and to appreciate how different our lives are in church service just today. This worship service is different because of Martin Luther uh, 500 years ago. Uh, Luther was born in 1483. His father worked in the copper mines. So his dad was a copper mine, a miner in the copper mines, but he wanted a better life for his son. So eventually Luther's father was able to go into the mining business uh, for himself. And, And by the way, when you read Martin Luther, it's hilarious he is so crude, he is so straightforward, he is so blunt, and it's because he grew up in the copper mines, That's, he grew up with miners his whole life, and so he preaches like a miner, he preaches like a construction worker, I mean, he, he just, he's got, you know, really you know, rough language, and, and, and just blunt, and all kinds of colorful illustrations, and you can really see that in, in his preaching. Now Martin's parents were both committed Christ followers. And every night his dad would tuck him into bed and then kneel and pray at his bedside. But they were also very strict disciplinarians. His his mother once beat Luther so hard for stealing a nut that she drew blood. That's how hard she beat him. This was not unusual in Luther's day. A student could get up to 15 beatings a week in school just for having the wrong answer. How many of you are glad you went to school, you know, this year rather than back then? How many of you teachers wish it was more like the good old days, okay. Now, uh, Luther's father wanted Luther to become a a lawyer. That's what he wanted more than anything else. He thought thought it would help him in the mining business, and yet uh, that, that was not to be. He studied law. But one night he was walking through the woods during an intense thunderstorm. And so he decided to become a monk at the age of 22. One of Luther's friends had been struck dead by lightning. And Luther was terrified of lightning. So during this thunderstorm, this lightning storm, he fell on the ground and he cried out to God, God, I will become a monk. I will become a monk. And he kept that promise to God. And his father was furious with him. Furious. And you know, it reminds me of the child dedication we were just doing. When we dedicate our children, you know what? We say, God, I have certain dreams for the child, but your dreams take priority over my dreams. And we were talking about that in child dedication class. And sometimes our kids go a different direction than we thought they originally would. How many of you would agree with me on that one? And that was Luther. He probably dedicated his son, Luther's father, dedicated his son as a baby And said, God, you know, I want your your will for his life. But then God's will was that he become a monk instead of a lawyer. And now he's furious about it. He was ordained at the age of 25. Now, Luther was just full of guilt. He was tortured by his sinfulness. He had this terror of God. He he was so afraid of God. He was so afraid of judgment. He just felt he was so sinful. He was just torn to shreds uh, with guilt. But he continued to be just full of guilt and the fear of God. I I, I love this quote. It's so simple, but it is so true. Uh, Martin Luther once said, nothing is easier than sinning. Anybody want to say amen to that? nothing's easier than sinning. He was consumed with keeping every rule in order to make himself right with God. Uh, Luther decided to become the most intense of all monks. He wanted to be a monk on steroids. He wanted to be the monk of monks. Uh, He would sleep fewer hours. He would fast, that is skip more meals. Uh, He'd go hungry most of the time. He would spend more time in confession than any other monk. He would spend six hours in confession. Uh, His clean conscience was like, just, just for a moment he'd have a clean conscience, but then he was just consumed with guilt once again, consumed with trying to make himself right with God. Martin Luther once said, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. Now, what he started doing was to read the Bible. Now, that seems so duh to us, right? Everybody reads the Bible. Oh, they didn't back then. Because your response is like, well, why wouldn't you read the Bible? That's the difference Martin Luther made, the the Reformation he he brought about, that now we read the Bible on our own. Nobody did back then, nobody read the Bible. Uh, They might read books by people who had read the Bible, but they never read the Bible themselves. Even most of the priests never read the Bible. Even the monks in the monasteries never read the Bible. But he became a New Testament scholar and so he thought he'd better read the Bible. So he starts reading the Bible, particularly the book of Romans, and he came on this verse, Romans 1 verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's like, oh my goodness, there's the news I've been looking for. The righteous shall live by faith. You can come to Christ by faith, and finally you can be forgiven. And so he came to Christ, and he committed his life to Christ in the most unusual place. It's called the cloaca experience. Now cloaca means outhouse, but he was so crude, he called it something else, which I'm not going to say here today. But he called it something else. But he he came to Christ In an outhouse, he committed his life to Christ. And he has this awesome quote. He said, if our Lord in this life, in the outhouse, and he didn't say outhouse, if our Lord in this life has given us such noble gifts, he said, if I could find forgiveness, if I could meet Jesus in an outhouse, in the nitty gritty of life, in the most earthy place in this world, what will happen in that eternal life where everything will be perfect and delightful. He said, if I could meet Jesus, if I could finally feel forgiven in an outhouse, think how awesome heaven is gonna be. If God meets us in the rough and tumble of this life, in the roughest possible place, what will eternity bring? And so he came to Christ, and it changed his life. It changed him, and it changed his preaching. As he preached
1: uh, the message we sang, uh, he, he rediscovered God, that he was a good, good father. And as we think about I, I've been spending time reading um, about Martin Luther in preparation for this, and there's just, we're just going to scratch the surface of, of his life and his impact. Uh, there's so much more that we could talk about. If you want to dig deeper, uh, Eric Metaxas uh, wrote a great book and had it published last year with the 500th anniversary that will help you to, to learn more about his life and his impact. But as you think about uh, Martin Luther and we think about this, uh, this larger-than-life character who, who stood up to the, the church and to the Pope and, and sparked the, the Reformation, it's, it's difficult to, to think about him about being an example for us in our everyday ordinary life and, and, and think about him fitting into this series of, of finding and fulfilling our, each of us, finding and fulfilling our unique part in God's story. But I think as we, as we get past the myths and the legends and we see the real person of Martin Luther, we'll see that he's the perfect example for us. When, when you look at his early years as a priest, we find that there was nothing about Martin Luther that really led people to think this is somebody who's going to impact and, and change the world. And, and his story is like the stories of the people that we're studying in, in Nehemiah, uh, a story of rediscovering God, of having a pro- profound experience of discovering our good, good father. And after that, taking one step at a time to fulfill and, and find that purpose, that, that part that God had for him to play in his story. Well, to see how Martin Luther uh, found and fulfilled his part, you have to understand, like Glenn was starting to allude to, what the church was like in the 1500s. Uh, sometimes we have this picture that uh, he broke away from the Catholic Church, and we think of the Catholic Church like it is today. And, and uh, the, Catholic ch- the, the church at that time was nothing like the Catholic Church today in large part, due to, uh, large part to the impact of Martin Luther. Uh, as Glenn alluded to, one of the big differences was the Bible and the church. Uh, you know, we, we understand that uh, people didn't have access to the Bible. They didn't have Bibles in the pews. They didn't have Bibles in their homes. Uh, they didn't have access to the Bible. And, but the, 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 the thought that the monks and the priests, the pastors of the day, is what really impacted me that they didn't read the Bible. They didn't study the Bible. They didn't teach the Bible. They didn't preach the Bible. And Luther was different. As soon as he became a monk, and he received his, his first Bible. He began to just consume the Bible, looking for answers to the, the fear and the guilt and the depression that he had deep within his life. And as he had that rediscovery of God through Scripture, he began to continue to consume it and to, to read it and, and to, to live it out. He found that the Word of God wasn't just a book, but it was the living Word of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12. We read, For the Word of God is alive. And active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And as he read and studied and taught scripture, he began to see that the Bible isn't just something for for academics or to hear how the church would interpret it, but we were to go to God's word and the Holy Spirit would teach each one of us. He'd speak to us, God would speak to us, and it would change our lives as we apply it to our everyday lives. He studied passages like uh, Psalm 119. In verse 33, we read, teach me, Lord. The way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. It was for applying to our lives. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. We're to understand God's word. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight, not condemnation, but delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from the worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. As Luther rediscovered God, he took that next step to to finding and fulfilling his part of of being a student of God's word and then becoming a teacher of God's word. He read it, he studied it, he taught it, he defended everything by using the Bible. And eventually he ended up uh, translating the whole Bible into German so that everyone could understand God's word for themselves. Luther said, a simple layman armed with the scripture... Is to be believed above a pope or a council without it. The next thing that we understand about the church of Luther's day was their view of salvation. As Martin read and studied the Bible, he began to see that there were some errors in the way that they were teaching in the way that people were responding uh, to the doctrine of salvation. The church had taught that there was this in-between place called purgatory where a Christian after they died would spend time in torment. Depending on what their life had been like, they would spend years in torment being purified so that they could finally be ready to go to heaven. They also had a teaching that there was this spiritual merit system where you could uh, buy your way or work your way into heaven and, and through purgatory in a quicker fashion. And so the people were urged to pay money to visit some relics. And especially in Rome, uh, other places as well. But Rome was a circus at that time. When, uh, uh, when Martin Luther was, had a chance to v- go and visit Rome, his eyes were opened. And he saw that they were asking people to, to pay to see these relics. Because if they did this, then it would take years off, their, off of their, their purgatory experience. They could view Judas's coins, and it would take 1,400 years off a person's time in purgatory. Or they could view uh, the, the actual nails from the cross of Jesus. There were quite a few around, but uh, they could view that actual nail. And then there, there were uh, the, the actual thorn that pierced Jesus' brow. Uh, there was John the Baptist's skull. And it even went so far as they could view the milk from the breast of the Virgin Mary. It was magically preserved for all this time. Uh, on top of, of all of these relics, uh, they sold uh, what was called indulgences. They would. Uh, the Pope wanted to build St. Uh, 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 Peter's Basilica. And so the church uh, thought that they could raise money. So they increased this teaching that, that people were going to burn in hell because of their sin. And the way that they could uh, avoid that or to to move through purgatory faster was uh, to pay for these indulgences. And so they found that they could earn lots of money. And when the Pope wanted to build this uh, basilica, he hired a salesman named John Tetzel. Uh, We have a depiction of what uh, John uh, Tetzel looked like. And uh, his uh, uh, quote here is, When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And he went around uh, from town to town and he would have a bonfire and gather a crowd and he'd preach hell and, and that every one of them was going to burn in hell. He would have the bonfire there. He would even put his arm over the fire and get burnt by it. And they were, they were afraid of hell. And so he would use that to manipulate them to, to spend money to buy these indulgences. Martin saw people in his own church being misled and manipulated. And so the the poorest people were, instead of uh, spending money to feed their children, they were spending money to buy these indulgences uh, to keep themselves uh, or get their way into heaven or to help their their deceased loved ones to move through purgatory uh, quicker. The people lived in constant fear of God and they lived in in, uh, poverty as they tried to earn their way to heaven. Well, when Luther became a priest at age 30, he began teaching from the book of Romans. It had so profoundly impacted him. Um, verses like Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, he was profoundly impacted by the, the grace of God. Where he had been tormented by his sin, he began to see that, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we could have peace with God. We could have an eternity with him and and that only through Christ, not through indulgences, not through good works, not through paying uh, for our sins in purgatory, but only through Jesus Christ could we experience heaven and faith. As he continued to read and study and teach the Bible, he just became convinced that that only uh, absolute obedience to Jesus Christ, uh, to his word, not through uh, the teaching of the church would we find salvation. It led him to that iconic moment that we celebrated, the 500th anniversary of that time when he went before the, the, the uh, Wittenberg door, the, the castle church in Wittenberg, and, and nailed the 95, 95 thesis on the door to let the whole world know uh, that he was opposing the church and opposing the, the Pope and, and to break people away from the church and to start the Reformation. Uh, that's the iconic moment we have in our minds from hearing about it, but it really didn't happen like that. You see, Martin Luther was just taking that next step in, in his part that, in God's story that he took. When he posted that, uh, that 95 Thesis, he wasn't trying to make a stand against the church or the Pope. He wasn't trying to break anyone away from the church. He wasn't uh, setting out to, to let the whole world know anything. It was just his part as he was a part of the uh, teaching in the university there to let the academic community know that this was something that was important as a teacher of the Bible that they needed to discuss and debate this, and it should be debated amongst the the priests there. And what about nailing this to the door of the church? Again, we think of that as an act of defiance, uh, that if somebody were to come and nail something on the door of, of Purpose Church here, how defiant that would be, but it really wasn't like that either. You see, uh, the, the uh, castle church was in this small town of Wittenberg was the community center. And everyone in the town would pass through those doors into the church. And so those doors became kind of a, a bulletin board for the community. And so uh, if you think of it like being able to post something on a bulletin board at the university or at a community center or today even at a Starbucks to, to get the word out in the community the image of Luther audaciously uh, pounding the nail into the, the door of the church to proclaim that he was against the church or that he was going to break away from the church or take people away from the church uh, and, and gives, implies the idea that he w- had some idea that he would face excommunication or even a threat of death. But that's not what it was like. It, instead, Martin did want to affect change. But he was just doing his part as a, a responsible Bible teacher to take that next step to, to, uh, to proclaim what he was learning from God's word and, and to help the church get back on track. And, and he, he expected that the, the church and the church leaders and the Pope would appreciate that. The, as Luther continued to study and teach from the Bible, he was led to a, a whole new understanding of what Glenn referred to as the, the priesthood of believers. At that time, the structure of the church had these this different classes of, of Christians. There were the normal people, and then there were the priests. And reserved for the priest was direct access to God, was uh, being able to uh, receive the Lord's Supper, being able to hear confessions, and be able to, to, to act in, uh, serve in ministry. But on the basis of scripture, Luther taught that that Roman church's monopoly on spiritual things, uh, that, that God never separated his Christ followers into different people, but instead as everyone everywhere followed Jesus, that each of us have access to God. And he spoke of everyone being a part, every Christ follower being a part of the royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Every Christ follower is a a priest before God. Every one of us have access directly to God, to rediscover him, to follow after him, and also to be equipped by him to play our unique part in God's story. That's what this series is all about. That's one of our our values as a church is that everyone is designed to serve. Every one of us, as Glenn uh, referred to, that every one of us have an opportunity uh, to draw people to Christ to serve and be a part of God's story. Well, there are many other areas where Martin Luther fulfilled his part in God's story. But let me just touch on two quickly, music and, and marriage. As he continued to study and apply God's word to his life and the church, uh, he believed that the gospel should and, and would touch every part of life and every part of worship and every part of the church and that, uh, that uh, everything religious and secular, this distinction that there was there should be broken down and, and that included music. You see, at that time, music was separated into to church music that could only be sung by priests and monks, the pastors of the day. Now just pause for a moment and think about that. The amazing music that we have in our church, what if you had to depend on just hearing it from me? None of you would be here, I'm sure. They didn't have congregational singing. They didn't have an opportunity for you to engage in in singing praises to God. And, And the secular music that was sung by people outside the church, that was seen as the devil's music. And there was no way that that style of music could ever enter the church. But as he studied the Bible, that's not what Luther saw in the Bible. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Luther saw music as one of God's perfect good gifts. He knew the power of music to move us and to, uh, to capture our hearts. And so he believed that the best way to imprint the, the truths of Scripture on people's minds and hearts was to uh, to take the the truths of Scripture, and then to uh, use the the music of the day, the styles of music of the day, and to and to create songs of worship and praise that that all believers could sing. And so Luther said, the devil should not get all the good music. <laughs> and so and that wasn't for those of you in my uh, my age. Uh, it wasn't Larry Norman who said that first. It was actually Luther. So he started to write hymns like "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God," which we're gonna. In our service with today. Uh, and we think of that as, a, as, a, as church music, as a hymn, but it wasn't that when Luther uh, wrote that song. It, he took Psalm 46 and he took the, the, the style of music that was in bars of the day and he brought those together to, to speak of that important spiritual truth. And last but not least about marriage. Uh, This may be the impact of uh, Martin Luther that I appreciate the most, uh, where uh, as he studied scripture, he found that the necessity of celibacy for priests uh, was not biblical. And so Luther taught scripturally that uh, that it didn't uh, priests didn't need to be celibate and they could marry. Uh, It didn't seem like he was doing this for any personal reason. It didn't seem like he would ever marry himself. But there were nuns in convents who started to uh, read and agree with him. And and so, uh, but for a nun to leave the convent and, and to forsake their vows, it was punishable by death at that time. And so Luther started helping to uh, help uh, the, the nuns to get out of the, the convents into safety. And then he started to, to match them up with, with priests to marry them. He, he, he was way ahead of his time. He was the first uh, matching service or, or dating service ahead of social media and all that. But uh, there were nuns and convents who, who started to be... Uh, Escape in this way, and then uh, one time he there were twelve nuns in a convent, and he uh, took uh, fish barrels, empty fish barrels after delivery, and they escaped by getting into those twelve fish barrels. and And he was successful in matching eleven of those nuns uh, with priests to marry, but there was one, Catherine von Bora, who he couldn't match with anyone. She didn't want to marry anyone except for Martin Luther himself. And so, at age forty one, Luther married Catherine. Uh, they went on to, to be married and to have six children. Uh, here's a, a picture, a depiction of, of their family. Well, that's, again, just scratching the surface of Martin Luther. And again, we can separate ourselves thinking, you know, that's somebody who who changed history, but I, I'm just, you know, living in my ordinary life. We need to remember that, it, that he didn't set out to... To change the world or to have us talking about him 500 years later. He simply rediscovered God in a profound way. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you need to, to rediscover our good, good father and, and have that experience of coming back to him or coming to him and yielding your life to him. And then he fulfilled his part one step at a time getting into God's word and, and, and falling and obeying whatever God called him to do. And it led to
0: the 95 thesis and it led to church council. A couple of quick things before we're done. You gotta be honest, the man was not perfect. And, and we, we'd be wrong if we didn't. A lot of times people gloss this right over, but we're not gonna do that here. Uh, he had what we call a fourth quarter fumble. And by the way, even though Greg's been talking about indulgences, I'm gonna be very shameless now if you haven't gotten a Father's Day gift yet, my book, Fourth Quarter Fumbles, would be something every dad would want. And we've got a half-price Father's Day special going on at the Nehemiah table out in the lobby. But he had a fourth quarter fumble, um, and, and, and it happened three years before his death. And it's just an example. You know, I, man, I don't want to mess up on the home stretch. And he kind of messed up on the home stretch. It was three years before his death, and I in no way want to water it down or gloss over it. It was bad. But I do want to put it in context. His little girl, Magdalena, just loved this little girl. Thirteen years old, she died from the plague. And he was crushed. He was devastated. And um, uh, he went into this long period of depression And during that time of depression, within a few months after her death, he wrote a terrible book called On Jews and Their Lies, and it was attacking the Jewish people. Terrible thing. Uh, A a real mar, a blemish on the history of Martin Luther. Tragic thing. Now, it didn't cause any violence against Jewish people in his lifetime, and no violence because of the book against the Jewish people, other violence, but not because of this book, for 400 years... But the tragedy was, is that 400 years later, Adolf Hitler used parts of this book to justify what he did uh, during the Holocaust. And that's what's so uh, terrible about it. And, and he knew he was imperfect. He, he once said, others try to make me a fixed star, but I am an irregular planet. Now, in spite of his flaws and his faults, he changed the world for Christ. Changed it spiritually like Greg was talking about. He's also considered the father of democracy. Democracy came from what he taught. Um, The father of public education. Nobody educated everybody back then. It was only the elect few. He was the father of public education. He was the father of education for women. He was the first one to advocate for women to be educated. And, you know, this whole emphasis just reminds me, man, if you want to change the world for Christ, uh, a week from tomorrow, we start our kids' camp. And Luther pushed kids learning the Bible. That was, you call him the father of the modern Sunday school movement, too. And there is no better way to change the world than to bring kids to kids' camp a week from tomorrow. I mean, it is the most effective thing you can do. And so I encourage you who are the kids in your neighborhood? Who are the friends of your grandchildren? Who are the friends of your children? Your children, your grandchildren bring them here. No child will not be able to do it because of money. We have full scholarships. We have half scholarships. And I'm telling you, just getting a child to kids camp is the most effective way uh, to change the world for Christ. But he was also known as the father of nonviolence because the Protestant Reformation basically happened for the most part without violence. Now, violence came later but the Protestant Reformation was the first time the world had ever known nonviolent change, except for the birth of the early church, uh, 1,500 years before. And at the te- the same time that Hitler was using his words in a terrible way, other people were using his words in a wonderful way. And I'll end with this story: 1934, an African American pastor from Georgia by the name of Michael King. He had the trip of a lifetime to Israel and he ended up in Berlin in Germany at a Baptist Baptist Pastors Conference for Baptist pastors from around the world. And he was so impressed by what he learned about Martin Luther and the nonviolent way that he effected change that he changed his own name from Michael King to Martin Luther King Sr. And his five-year-old boy, who was Michael King Jr., he changed his name to Martin Luther King King Jr. And and that's part of the impact, the ongoing impact of the life of Martin Luther. So I'm gonna have our praise uh, worship team come up and then Debbie and Jason, we're gonna finish this thing old school, okay? Old school, um, organ, piano. If you wanna go pure old school, uh, get your hymn books out hymn number 26. Okay, hymn number 26. If you want to read it from the hymn book, uh, that's the red book in front of you there in the book rack. Uh, As Greg mentioned, he did not write this to be a theological work. He, He had a lot of struggle with depression. And so he wrote this song to fight his own depression and to help other people that were going through hard times. So if you are going through a hard time this morning, Martin Luther wrote this 500 years ago just for you. And like Greg mentioned, he took this great theological words that he wrote and he put it to a German drinking song. And so the hand motions to Almighty fortress, Says Our God are like this. And then they end like this. That's not true. I'm lying completely. I don't even know how to do it. How do you do a drinking song? I don't even know. That's, probably, that's a good thing, right? I'm just pretending not to know. What? what is it you do? Let's stand up. Let's sing together.